It's a pleasure to be back with you again today, and I'm so happy you fixed your elevator and we can be back up here, but I want you to know that I noticed Austin snuck up here and stole my record attendance up there, thinking that I wouldn't notice, so I'm, I'm just, I'm going to keep that in mind. Clay, I hope you got the records on that, and you can, you can reestablish that back up there. Appreciate Jeff uh, teaching Bible class and also leading singing, uh, Clay. Appreciate you doing the announcements, and Brother Joe, appreciate that prayer very much. A little bit different kind of a lesson today. I received a letter in the mail the other day, uh, and it kind of got under my skin a little bit, I guess you'd say, and I started thinking about it, and I replied to the letter, and I I built this sermon uh, around receiving this letter. Uh, The topic's going to be something that I'm sure many of you are very familiar with. It's on instrumental music uh, in worship. Uh, We're going to discuss that, but what I want to start with is the letter that I received. Someone had had purchased some of Rob Whitaker's uh, evangelism material, and this person is uh, a preacher, I guess, evangelist, he says, at the Christian church. And he wrote to me and he said, I have received the videos Personal Evangelism and Workbook, Evangelism Simplified by Rob Whittaker. I was dismayed to learn that one who has produced such an excellent product is still hung up on calling the use of instrumental music a sin. He is adding to the scripture the very thing he says he opposes. He uses unscriptural things such as a printed Bible, pulpit, pews, printing press, bulletin, etc. Yet he would say these additions are okay because he says so. He also refuses to acknowledge what the word Greek in Greek solo means to accompany by a string instruments. He also refuses to acknowledge that in Acts 15, a letter that was sent to Gentile churches by the elders and apostles about things they should avoid, not one mention of instrumental music. Many of the Gentiles had used instrumental music in their pagan worship. His opposition to the use of instrumental music in worship is nothing more than an opinion. It has no, thus saith the Lord. Also in Luke 15, Jesus mentions music playing when the prodigal son returned. The fact is that the church of Christ's opposition to instrumental music has driven believers away from the Lord's church. It is nonsense. The word will never be one to, world will never be won to Christ by such positions that are not backed up with scripture. Why not leave it in the realm of opinion? and not make it a test of fellowship. Carl Ketherside used to say, I will not make a condition of salvation over that which God has not made a condition of salvation. You are making the use or non-use of instrumental music and worship a condition of salvation, and you will have to answer for it. And it's signed by him. Uh, I wanted to take this letter and address briefly the eight points that he makes in there because I think that Many of us have been confronted by people about this topic. It's one of the things that they they think when you say, oh, I'm from the Church of Christ, and they say, oh, you're the ones who don't use instruments, or you're the ones who think you're the only ones going to heaven. We'll address the other one at another time, but we're going to look at instrumental music and why do we not use instrumental music and address these points. Now, usually, it's a good idea 
when somebody asks us this question about the church, to not answer the question. Usually, it's a good idea to use that as a, a segue to get into a Bible study. Well, I'd love to talk to you about that, but let's have a study. And the reason is they need a foundation first to build off of. They need the foundation that we get our authority in worship from the Scriptures. Uh, And unless they have that knowledge, and unless they have that understanding, and we build that for them, it's hard for us to make the case just jumping into the middle of it. But in this case, this gentleman that contacted me is a preacher for the Christian church. So he has that grounding. He knows that we are pulling from the Scripture. He already has that foundation. So when I wrote him the letter, I addressed him as such. Second, I want to be sure that we understand that when we teach the truth, we're supposed to do so in truth and love. So we're supposed to keep that love in mind when we're teaching others the truth. Certainly this gentleman has been confronted before about his use of instrumental music, and he's questioning our basis for that. So when I addressed him, I tried to do so very respectfully towards him and reaching out to him from a position of love. I want him genuinely uh, to be converted, to understand the truth. Uh, someone did that for me, and, and someone did that for all of you, and, and that's reaching out in love to, to reach the lost. Point number one that he makes, he says, Why are printed Bibles, pulpits, pews, songbooks, PowerPoint, pitch pipes, uh, bulletins, buildings, why are all of these things okay, but instrumental music is not okay? In Colossians 3.17, we're to do all things in the name of the Lord. Uh, That is by His authority. And there are commands that are issued by God, things that we have to do. Jesus gave the Great Commission in Mark 16 and verse 15, where He says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. We have to go. That's the explicit command. But he doesn't tell us how to go. But it implicitly shows by implication that we have to go. So there has to be a way to do that. He doesn't, he doesn't describe the way. So there, therefore, we can take any way that we like. We could walk. We can take a boat. We can take a camel, we can take a chariot, we can, now we can fly, we can reach people through the internet, you reach people by sending out house to house in the mail. There are all sorts of ways to go. And whatever way we choose to go is obeying that command. Everything else is an aid to that command. Well, we are commanded to worship. So when he says to sing... It authorizes the things that we need to do in order to sing. Now that can be songbooks, it can be PowerPoints, it can be pitch pipes, uh, microphones, which you made me turn mine on in order to preach. That's a worship aid in order to facilitate the worship. These are aids to our worship not additions to. No one would claim that the microphone is worshiping. No one would claim that the songbook is worshiping. You could take those things away, and we would find another way to all be on the same page and do the same, sing the same song. 
But what about instruments? These are clearly an addition and not an aid. The person who is performing on the instrument would tell you that they are worshiping, that God has given them this talent, this ability. They just want to use their talent in worship to God. I've had this conversation. There is no one who wishes that they were wrong about this topic more than me. I wish that I was wrong. I wish that it was okay. And it's for a number of reasons. One is I was a music major in college. I like playing trumpet. But you know, it's really hard to sing when you're playing trumpet. You can, you can do it with guitar or piano, but it's really hard to sing and play trumpet at the same time. No, don't know anybody that can do it. So it's not possible even to worship in the same way when you're playing an instrument. So that's point number one. Other, also, another reason I wish I was wrong is that I know people. I have people in my family who are very much, uh, they're very good at, at playing guitar or, or whatever it is. And they, they are hung up on this issue and that they play in worship bands. And I, it's very hard to reach them and talk to them about this topic. It's hard to get them to sit down with me and, and have the study about the authority of scriptures and explain to them why it's not okay to do those things. So I wish that I was wrong. But wishing so and wanting something to be a way doesn't change what God instructs and God tells us to do. We have to hold to truth. Point number two he makes is the definition. He says we don't acknowledge the, what the word solo means in Greek. The word solo here is used in several different passages when referring to music. It is the Greek word. Uh, he says it means to accompany with strings instruments, but that is not what it means. He has misidentified the word. If you look at even the latest Greek lexicon, and if you look at any Greek lexicon, it will tell you about the same thing, and that the primary definition of the Greek word solo, it will tell you it just means to pluck. It's a verb that means to pluck. And then the examples it uses as on stringed instruments or hair. Somebody's come and plucked all my hair. Uh, very similar uh, that that word solo means to pluck. Now it doesn't mean it doesn't say what it is to pluck. It says it can be on a stringed instrument or it could be as in hair. Uh, so certainly he's not telling us to pluck our hair when he commands us to solo. Ephesians five nineteen is the famous passage that's used for this word, where it says sing and make music from your heart or make melody in your heart to the Lord. That word that's translated there, make melody or make music or harmonize with, uh, that word is solo, and we are to sing and pluck. What are we to pluck in that verse? Well, quite clearly, we are to pluck the strings of the heart. The only instrument that is mentioned there is the heart. So we are supposed to play an instrument in our worship. We are supposed to play the instrument of the heart. Our singing one to another and, and what we're singing to ourselves in, inside of ourselves as we're singing to the Lord is supposed to touch our hearts. It's supposed to, God is after our hearts. That's what he wants. He wants our hearts all the time. And so the only instrument that is mentioned there is the heart. His third point, he talks about Acts chapter 15. You can turn over there. 
and look at this uh, as well. And he says that there's a letter that's sent by the church in Jerusalem to the Gentile churches and that there's no mention of abstaining from instrumental music and that they would have uh, had a problem with that because they grew up in the, in the pagan churches and that they used instruments in the pagan uh, church. Uh, he, he's right that there's no mention of instrumental music. Let's just read the conclusion of it. Uh, we're looking at Acts chapter 15. Let's begin in verse 23. It says, And they wrote letters by them after this manner, the apostles and elders and brethren, send greeting unto the brethren which are of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia. For as much as we have heard that certain which went out from us have troubled you with words, subverting your souls, saying you must be circumcised and keep the law, to whom we gave no such commandment. It seemed good unto us, being assembled with one accord, to send chosen men unto you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men that have hazarded their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have sent therefore Judas and Silas, who shall also tell you the same things by mouth. For it seemed good to the Holy Ghost and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things, that ye abstain from the meats offered to idols, and from blood, and from things strangled, and from fornication, from which, if ye keep yourselves, ye shall do well, fare ye well. That's the whole letter. Now you'll know uh, from your study that the issue that they're dealing with is some men from Jerusalem had come up to Antioch where Paul and Barnabas were, and they were preaching that the church in Jerusalem, the apostles are commanding you, if you're a male, you have to be, even if if you're an adult male that was a Gentile, you now have to be circumcised in order to be in the church, just like the Jews. Uh, this was a big deal. This was a big problem for the church. And then you also have to keep the law. Uh, and Paul, of course, is contradicting that. He's saying you don't have to follow the law. You do not have to be uh, circumcised if you were a Gentile. And it's, it's such a big issue that they go down to the church in Jerusalem and they have a conference and they discuss these matters. And the conclusion is, right, you don't have to follow the old law. That's not what we, we have now... That's been fulfilled, and we're now under the law of liberty, under Christ. And so that's the issue that's at play, not instrumental music. And I think it's interesting that he brings this point up. He's trying to find, desperately trying to find scripture to support his point. Uh, this scripture does not do so. And in fact, uh, if you're going to try to turn to history to support instrumental music, you're going to have a, a difficult time. Uh, as I've said, I was a music major. We studied the history of music, and one of the things we noted was the institution of Christian music in the first century. And one of the things through history that you find is that in Judaism, they had instrumental music. In the church, there's a sudden break with that, and they do not have instrumental music, not for hundreds of years. In fact, when, when some people tried to insert it into uh, the worship in the third century, they called them Judaizing teachers because there was such an obvious break from Judaism in worship and that in the Christian church, the church of Christ in the first century, they did not have instrumental music. It was many hundreds of years before it was introduced uh, on a regular basis and then many more hundreds of years before it was widely uh, accepted. History is not on your side if, if you're trying to turn to history. Of course, we don't use history as our authority. We use the scriptures. 
But there's no reason for them here in this passage in Acts 15 to tell them not to use instrumental music because they were not doing so. It was not an issue at all. And, and for them to say, point out Gentile Christians, oh, we should tell the Gentile Christians not to use instruments. Well, the, the same thing was true of, of Jewish Christians. You know, there are certain things that Gentile Christians would have struggled with that they don't mention here as well. You know, they, they would uh, look to the flights of birds and clouds and lightning strikes to try to portent what the gods are feeling and thinking through what they called augury. There's no mention of that here, but obviously those things are wrong. Uh, so th- this is not an all-inclusive list of everything that they're supposed to avoid. If the Bible was just a book of don'ts, we would have a huge book, and we would have to, to catalog it and figure out, okay, what are all the things that God says we can't do? Well, it's not a, it's not a book of, of don'ts. God tells us what we need to do. God shows us how to worship. And that leads me to point number four, that this is nothing more than an opinion. He says that we are enforcing an opinion on people and and condemning them based on it. You know, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We're supposed to study the Bible to find out what we are to do. And 2 Peter 1 and verse 3 says that we have been given all things that pertain to life and godliness. God has given us everything that we need in order to worship Him correctly and to live a godly and holy life. And He has given us that in the Scriptures. There is nothing else that we need. Everything we need is can be found in the Scriptures and be deduced and understood and logically looked at from the Scriptures. So there's nothing else that we need. All right? So is this an opinion that there can be differing opinions based on the Scriptures? Well, my question is, do you feel like God knows how to tell people to worship Him? Do do you feel like Jesus knows how to tell people how to worship Him in His church? And you look back... You know, have you not read in the Old Testament, if you've ever tried to read through the Bible at one time and you hit Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, there's a whole bunch of law. Most of it pertains to how to worship God. There's some that applies to morality, but there's so much there about how to worship God. And he tells us, Look, you've got to build the tabernacle, and it's got to be exactly like this, made out of exactly these materials. Here's how you pack it. Here's who's allowed to touch it. Here's who's allowed to move it. And when you do so, here's how you unpack it. Here's the order that you do that in. Uh, Here's who's allowed to take the Ark of the Covenant. You've got to cover that up. Nobody's allowed to touch it. You've got to put it in the most holy place. Here's the, the priests, and they're allowed to do it. And the high priests are allowed to do this. Here's how they're supposed to dress. Here's the animals that they sacrifice and when they do it and how they do it and where they're supposed to put the blood. They put it on their ear and on their toe. There's all these things that God tells you how you're supposed to worship Him in the Old Testament. Does God know how to tell us how to worship Him? He absolutely does. God knows how to tell us how to worship Him. Does He take it seriously? Well, Ask Nadab and Abihu if he takes it seriously. 
They used fire, strange fire, which he had commanded them not. Notice he didn't say, don't use this fire over here and this fire over here. He told them what to use. He told them to use the fire from the altar where the sacrifices had been done that had been sanctified. That fire was purified by the blood of the sacrifices that were on it. They were allowed to use that fire in the tabernacle. And they didn't. They used some other fire. It was more convenient to them. And God killed them for it. God takes worship seriously. And he knows how to tell us how to do it. If he wanted us to worship with musical instruments, does he know how to tell us that? Look at Second Chronicles 29.25. It says, And he stationed the Levites in the house of the Lord with cymbals, harps, and lyres, according to the commandment of David and of Gad, and of the king seer Nathan, the prophet. For the commandment was from the Lord through his prophets. So does he know how to command the use of musical instruments if he wants it? Yes, he does. And this isn't the only place. It's also in the Psalms. But we are not under that law. We are under the new law of liberty. We do not worship as the Jews did. We don't look to the Old Testament for our pattern of worship. We look to the new. And so God knows how to tell us to worship with instruments, and he has not done so. Point number five, I feel barely needs mentioning, and I won't spend much time on it because my time is rapidly uh, fading, but he says Luke 15 mentions the prodigal son, uh, and they, they played instruments upon his return in celebration of that at the party. Yes, they did. Yes, they used instrumental music there. That was not worship or worship setting. They were not singing spiritual songs. They were rejoicing at the return uh, of the sun, and it is not a pattern that can be used uh, for worship. I enjoy playing guitar. Uh, I might play, if I could learn the chords, I play Happy Birthday at my grandson's birthday, but, but that doesn't make it worshiping uh, God with instrumental music, and it is okay uh, to do so. Point number six, he says, The Church of Christ's opposition to instrumental music has driven believers away from the Lord's church. It is nonsense. This is hard, you know. The, the truth is not a popularity contest. You know, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, we're told that all who desire to live a godly life will face persecution. All who, who want to live a godly life in Jesus Christ will face persecution. Because if Jesus lived the perfect godly life and he faced persecution and even death, You remember in John 6, Jesus taught in the synagogue at Capernaum. And he talked about, well, you've got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And they said, oh, this is a hard teaching. Who can hear this? Who can follow this? And many of his disciples turned away from him that day. And as soon as they did, Jesus said, wait, wait, wait. I was, it was figurative. I didn't explain it correctly. Come back. I want to, I want to explain it to you. And, and he didn't do that. He turned to the twelve. And he asked them, are you going to leave too? And they said, who, do, who will we turn to? Peter said the right thing there. He said, who will we turn to? If you have the, the words of life. Jesus taught things that lost him followers because it was the truth. Jesus taught things that were unpopular, that were threatening to the Jewish leaders, that made him a hunted target. Jesus taught, Jesus taught things that were the truth that got him killed. And we can expect no less 
Rob mentioned to me this week that he was dealing with a church. He was talking to a church, and they, they said, well, we want to offer uh, popcorn and coffee in the mornings uh, because we're trying to get people to come, get, get people to come in. There's nothing wrong with, with offering you know, popcorn and coffee uh, if, if that's what you want to do, but if you're doing it as a, an expedient to get people into uh, worship, his point is if that's what you're using to attract people, you're going to have to do something grander and bigger to keep them here. If what's attracting them is popcorn, he calls it popcorn evangelism, that they're going to have to do something grander than popcorn to keep them here. And when people come for the truth, when you tell them the truth, it will keep them here. They will continue to grow in truth. So we have to teach the truth, whether it is popular or not. Point number seven He says it's just an opinion. Well, let's just turn to the scriptures for this. Let's look at every instance very quickly of the use of singing in the New Testament. It starts in Matthew 26, verse 30. It says, And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Now, clearly, this is before the the church. The church was established in Acts 2. But it is the institution of the Lord's Supper. Uh, And they also sang a hymn, no instance of instrumental music. Acts chapter 16, verse 25. But at midnight, Paul and Silas, who were in prison, were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Here they're in prison, so they wouldn't have had access to instruments. They're not, there's no mention of any instruments, but their singing influenced the prisoners and the jailer, who is in just a little bit converted. Romans 15, 9, and that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy, as it is written, for this reason I will confess to you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. This verse is based on the Psalm of David, and it comes from uh, 2 Samuel twenty two fifty. The point Paul is making here is that the Jewish and Gentile Christians need to be united in Christ. Still, we only have, have sing as a verb. 1 Corinthians 14, 15 what is the conclusion then? I will play, pray with the Spirit, and I will also pray with understanding. I will sing with the Spirit, and I will also sing with understanding. Here Paul is addressing those speaking in unknown tongues, and he says we need to pray and sing with understanding. Again, no mention of instruments, and it's hard to say how instruments would be interpreted for understanding. Ephesians 5.19, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. We've already discussed this passage, but the only instrument mentioned here is the strings of the heart. Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your heart to the Lord. Only singing mentioned here. James 5.13, is anyone among you suffering? Uh, Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Once again, only singing mentioned. And I think uh, I skipped Hebrews 2.12 saying, I will declare your name, my brethren, in the midst of the assembly. I will sing praise to you. These are all the instances of singing in worship. Never mention instruments. And then we get to Revelation 5, 8, and 9. Now, sometimes we like to leave that one out because it requires explanation. Uh, But here is the only mention of instrumental music. In Revelation 5, 8 and 9, Now when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls, 
full of incense, which are the prayers of saints. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. Now there it's mentioned that they sang. It mentioned that they have harps. It doesn't say that they played them. However, it, it, we can assume that, that perhaps they, they did. It's the only indication of any kind of worship uh, in the New Testament setting with instruments. Uh, and like I said, sometimes we like to leave this passage out because of that, and we don't want to have to explain it. But let's, let's talk about it and, and briefly explain it. Uh, they say it seems inconsistent to believe that God condemns instrumental music in the New Testament church, but he's okay with it in Judaism in the Old Testament, and he's okay with it in heaven. Does that seem inconsistent to you? It doesn't to me. Because if it's true that that's inconsistent, then you would say, okay, well, it's also inconsistent. The other thing mentioned in here is bowls of incense. So we should be doing that, which are prayers uh, to God. They did that in, in the Old Testament. They had they burned incense in the, in the temple and in the tabernacle. Uh, we no longer do those things. Does that seem inconsistent? It doesn't to me, because we have to do what God commands at the time he commands it. Uh, also, turning to Revelation is a difficult point to make because there's so much symbolic language in uh, Revelation, as is the case here with the bowls of incense being actual prayers uh, of the saints. The main point is that God is fully capable of deciding the specifics of worship, He's able to command these things in the Old Testament, and he's able to command how we are to worship in the New Testament. And he's capable of commanding and permitting worship in heaven that is not commanded or permitted in the New Testament. So it is not an example that we can follow for our worship to God. The final point I want to make, and I'll just make it briefly, is that he ends this letter with, we will have to answer for it. And brothers and sisters, friends, I agree with that point. We will have to answer for how we worship God. We will have to answer, each one of us, for our conduct. Each one of us will have to answer before God for what we've done in this life. And it's for that reason that it's so important that we study to show ourselves approved, that we work out our own salvation with fear and trembling because you look forward to the day when you will be before God and you will be alone at that. And at that time, your friends, your family, no one will be able to stand with you. And I assure you that each one of them will be concerned for themselves and will be equally alone at that time before God. And it's at that time that you will either have Jesus with you or you won't. He will either say, well done, my good and faithful servant. And won't it be wonderful to hear those words? Knowing that we sinned, we've all sinned, we've fallen short, we had no hope, but because we're in Christ, we have him on our side. He's our advocate. He's on our side. He covers our Sin. He's also the sacrifice, the blood that covers up 
that sin. Won't it be wonderful to hear those words and know that we can be in heaven with God? Or he'll say, depart from me, I never knew you. At that time, won't it be terrible to think, well, I did many things for you. I sacrificed for you. I never knew you. Well, I played instruments for you. I did. I never knew you. It's, it's a sobering thought. And we need to keep in mind that we will all face it someday. And by way of invitation, I will say, if you are not ready for the judgment, if you do not know today, if you died, or if Jesus came back, that you would go to heaven, I encourage you to make that right this morning. Either be baptized for the remission of your sins, and then live the godly life, and we will be there with you and encourage you and build you up and teach you. Or, if you have fallen short, you have fallen away, and you need the prayers of the saints, we would be happy to sit here and talk to you and help you through that as you repent and confess your sins, and we will pray with you and for you for forgiveness. If either of those is the case for you this morning, please make it known as we stand and as we sing.